Well, welcome everybody to episode 120 of That's So Second Millennium. It's my pleasure as uh, co-host Bill Schmidt to, uh, for once, uh, introduce the star of the show uh, and the uh, founding uh, founding co-host, uh, Paul Giesting. Uh, good to see is you it, again, Paul. And uh, yeah, let's. Uh, is it, is it bad when you say up? the star of the show that the uh, the theme music from Alvin and the Chipmunks starts going in my head? Yeah, oh, that's a uh, good idea. Or how about uh, uh, da 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 da? That would be uh, <laughs> Johnny Carson. But, oh, and, okay. Yeah. I'm a little. I'm a little young for that. Oh, I'm, that's all right. Well, the, uh, the, I, the the thing I think of with Johnny Carson was that he always had guest hosts because he oh, was yeah. basically semi-retired, and uh, that was always part of the joke. Uh, you know, what are some of the great oxymorons? Uh, in uh, in America, or in in the language, and one of them guest host. <laughs> guest host. Yes, yes. yes. I see where you're going there. Yeah. So yes. That's so, indeed. but if you ever need me to be a guest host, I I, I am an oxymoron. Uh, yes. Both of us could sometimes in, just be in, walking in oxymorons. Uh, yeah. Yes, but. Yeah. Oh, the walking oxymorons. Yep, they yeah, do exist. Yeah. But they yep. do exist. But it's good to see you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We are literally seeing each other, although that's not going to get uploaded to the podcast. But uh, yeah, it helps us uh, helps us remain grounded in in the conversation, I suppose. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and there's lots to converse about because there's been um, been some changes in the world, right? Well, there's been changes in the world. Uh, that's uh, fortunately not what we're going to be <laughs> discussing so thoroughly right now. We're trying to we're trying to do this. We're doing this on short notice. So this is the second straight episode that you should not blame Morgan for at all because she had no part in, in the production of this episode. Um, I um, just got the chance to visit Wyoming Catholic College. So I've been working here. It's been a crazy 2021 for me uh, in particular because I started a new job on January 19th with Environmental Works Incorporated, where we get um, something that starts with the letter S done. Um, <laughs> we take great pride in that. Um, but I also had the chance to go and visit, uh, you know, the uh, through actually connection that was facilitated through the Society of Catholic Scientists, um, got invited to go out to Wyoming Catholic College and give and guest teach a class and then give a field exercise. And Wyoming Catholic College has been on my radar ever since it was founded because it's in Lander, Wyoming. And Never Lander, Wyoming. Wyoming is where I went to field camp. So that critical part of my geological education took place in the summer of 2000. Wow. And it's just, I mean, it was six of the best weeks of my life. It was just fantastic. Yeah. You know, and for some people it would be probably a living hell, but you know, it's, it's sort of like the intro to Green Acres, right? You know, either you love it or you uh -huh. hate it. Either you love the idea of being out in this cabin, getting up early every morning, getting in a 15 passenger van, driving out to see these rocks, you know, uh, these burnt red rocks roasting in the Wyoming sun and then come back, you know, at, and have, you know, a brief happy hour at the Lander Bar, which is where I took my first legal drink, by the way, um, <laughs> in the year 2000, because my age wow, works so out you... that way. Uh, it was, was, it was, this was a like place a of great memories for me. It back. was, it was a pilgrimage. Very that, good. that is, that is right. literally, that's pretty much literally the case. <laughs> um, yeah. And to see Holy Rosary Church again, which honestly, I mean, it's, it's a nice church, but it was, it was also not, you know, the architecture of it didn't stand out in my mind. It's just the scenery around it that did. Oh, I um, 
yeah so it was yeah it was it was it was it was for me a holy place to go back to and, and to, to go on pilgrimage and, th and then to know that this institution is there this you know it's a very classically oriented it's you know capital d it's not quite a capital g capital b great books program but it has a lot in common with that you know all the students take the same palette of classes um they have a very heavy outdoor component believe it or not it's, you know the, the advantage of being in wyoming they have instructors in horsemanship <laughs> in february i beautiful. didn't meet any of those beautiful. but uh yeah so it's a it's a beautiful institution and so yeah i got to go there on tuesday and uh to sit in and actually guess teach a class on darwin forcing me to read darwin because i literally never read any of the uh. any, any of darwin's writings prior to uh the week before preparing for that class um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was that was a lot of fun. The students are very engaged. You know, it's all discussions in a way that you know, like that was not how I was taught. Um, and yet, it's and yet, of course, I've you know, I took a I took you know certainly my own share of sort of humanities. You know, they was it was called the text and tradition program at WashU, and so of course at Washington University in St. Louis. It's not I'm in St. Louis now, where WashU will go. You know, everyone knows what you talk about, and it's not, not everyone knows what you talk about if you say that. Um, but yeah, so of course, what's the first thing I'm reading is, you know, Plato's dialogues. Um, so like where, but why are, so why is somebody just yakking at me? So, so yeah, it was great to see that at Wyoming Catholic College, that's not <laughs> what they do. In fact, I sat through a class. It was fascinating watching the students help each other learn sort of elementary, you know, probability in a, in a sort of mathematical methods for science sort of class. So yeah, I mean, it was great. And then I got the chance to go out and, you know, give a talk to like the president, the dean, <laughs> and some of the some of the faculty and Very some of the nice. students out there. So, yeah, it was it was, you know, of course, it's, it's related to stuff that we've already talked about. So like, uh, you know, and, and Nicholas Steno is getting a lot of airplay in certain circles these days because uh, the Society of Catholic Scientists has picked him up um, and has sort of run with him. So you were saying that he's, and, and I've seen some of these too, but, you know, there's been a lot on my mind. So the most recent talk, I think it was the last one for a while, wasn't it? That they were going to do one with Guy Consolmagno? Yes, that one's coming up in a month or so. And I think the last one was uh, maybe at the end of last year or whatever, but it's an ongoing, okay. or at least uh, with one or two more uh, segments this year. And uh, I love to see the Society for Catholic, Society of Catholic Scientists collaborating again with the uh, McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. I think that's a great mm. partnership, and uh, mm. I'll uh, I'll plan to be in attendance virtually and learn more about Steno. Gosh, the, the day will come when we don't have to be in attendance virtually. That'll be nice. I mean, obviously, it's, know, it continues to be nice yes. when you can't travel there. I mean, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's. Yes. But anyway, yeah. So so we went we went to a locality. So what's one funny little detail? So the, this was a spot that was very well known to me from my days in field camp because there are these domes, just dome-like structures, you know, where the, the rock is literally bent downward on the flanks. Um, and they're, they're, they're a natural place to look for oil. So the first oil wells drilled in Wyoming were out in this area back in the 1870s or something like that. Um, so there's one called Dallas Dome and there's one called Derby Dome. So that was what we called it in field camp was Derby Dome. Well, now yeah. it's got, you know, mountain bike trails on it and they call it Johnny Behind the Rocks. But uh, uh -huh. in 2000, we had not heard that name. <laughs> <laughs> so, I so I took them out to the dome. And so just to try to, to, try to paint the picture for people, um, 
So the, the Wind River Mountains, which are the tallest ones in Wyoming, Wyoming doesn't have any 14,000 foot mountains like Colorado does, but it has several 13s and several of them are in the Wind River range. So that's, you know, a southeast to northwest trending mountain range. So that's off in the distance from this locality. It's probably the, the summits have got to be 10 miles away, something like that. I mean, they're, they're, you can see them, they're very close. Um, and then down here in the, in the basin, um, there are several what are called hogbacks. So it's a very typical dry land landform when you've got tilted rocks is that you'll have um, so a mudstone, a shale, a rock that's mostly made of clay. Um, so that'll be very weak. And then a strong rock layer like a limestone or a sandstone will be very resistant. So that, so the tilt, um, if you can try to imagine, you know, a, pan, a set of pancakes and you tilt them and then, you know, cut them right down the, uh, the middle. You'd see that resistant layer there at the top. And then that resistant layer forms one slope of this sort of hog back, this ridge. Um, it's also called dip and cuesta. Because um, of course, you know, there's a lot of people who speak Spanish out in the part of the world where you see this sort of thing. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so several of these hog backs in succession um, around, you know, so, and there's the, it's a dome, so they're they're sort of circular. And if you if you travel any distance, you see that the ones they start sloping the opposite direction because we've crossed the dome, and are looking off in the other direction. So so what we did is we went to um, a certain set of rocks. So there, it's called the Sundance Formation. So it's it's this big thick formation of rocks that formed during the Jurassic. It's mostly colored this kind of olive drab green. Um, and it's a mixture, it's, it's kind of, it's one of these formations that goes back and forth between being mud and sand and mud and sand and mud and sand and maybe some limestone mixed in there. Um, but it's all, it's all got that same color. So it's got that same chemistry and it's got, um, it's got shells in it, which is actually sort of unusual for a sandstone. Usually that pounds the shells to pieces and you can't even see them anymore. But this is a, this is a formation where you can still see at least the shell fragments. So I led them out there and pointed that out to them. So so we talked about Nicholas Steno. Nicholas Steno is a 17th century, um, 17th century figure. So very early um, in the history of you know modern science. That's really when modern science was getting its start in almost every direction. You know, alchemy was giving way to chemistry. Um, Galileo and then Newton were putting together the rudiments of classical physics. Um, you know, astronomy had been turned over. Um, you know, so so modern science was getting started. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and so geology was getting started just barely, you know, just, just the elementary pieces were getting put together. So in the following century, you know, a hundred years after Steno, there's a Scotsman, there are a lot of Scotsmen, um, there are a lot of Scotsmen who are important in the history of geology. Um, this fellow is named James Hutton. Um, so Hutton is, especially in the English speaking world, Hutton is called the father of geology, not Steno, even though yeah. Steno has really got everything he would need to make that claim and he is 100 years earlier so um but what's but what hutton brings to the table is he saw sort of a bigger picture than steno really did so he's using steno's principles so you can go out to an outcrop like this and you can look at these rocks and so you, if you bring steno's principles to bear you've got a lot of inclined rocks and so they were they were so Steno's first principle is original horizontality. Something happened to tilt all of these. So yeah. that's that's the that's the presumption. And so Hutton looks at that and like, well, why why were they originally horizontal? Well, they were probably laid and they were probably laid underwater because hey, look at all of these shells um, in the 18th century. You could already make that you know um, 
claim. Okay, so this, this looks like it formed underwater. You know, why is it up here at 6,500 feet elevation? Wow. Uh-huh. So it was under the ocean at one point. I mean, it looks like the ocean because the Sundance is this massive, you know, it doesn't look like a riverbed. And if you follow it long enough across a lot of Wyoming, it would have been an awfully big lake um, that with an awful lot of sediment deposited in it. It's much easier to believe that it is the ocean, that it was the ocean that it was underneath. All right, so how did it get here? So what Hutton brings to the table is this picture that, you know, okay, there's, there's this cycle. And Hutton, it's, Hutton's fascinating. So of course, in the following century, there's Darwin. And Darwin really, you know, is part of the movement toward atheism. And, you know, things just run on their rules and there's no intention for any of this. Um, it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, our modern version of Adams dancing in the void like Democritus. There's no one, no one's here, no one cares. There are just these rules and there's just this stuff. And that's all that, all that life yeah. is and that's all that yeah. existence is. Um, yeah. Hutton does not see things that way at all. So despite yeah. the fact that Hutton is looking at a timescale that's radically different than the sort of naive biblical timescale, than the sort of 6,000 year timescale, which was you know, certainly bandied about quite a bit in the 17th and 18th century. Um, but Hutton was part of the movement away from that. So Hutton's, you know, okay, there's, you know, Hutton's tagline, as a matter of fact, if you, if you know one quotation from James Hutton, it's generally, the earth has no vestige of a beginning. There's no trace of it left. There's no evidence for how it began. It's so far buried underneath these repeating processes because something, something brings the sediment to the ocean, rocks form, something lifts them out of the ocean. I mean, we know what brings them to the ocean. <laughs> Erosion is fairly understandable, right? Right. Um, but then something has to bring them back out. Something and, and we you know we have the evidence here because gosh this had to form under the ocean there's just no other logical explanation for this, um, you know so so Hutton has this idea of very deep time there's no vestige of a beginning there's no prospect of an end there's nothing we can see in the processes going on now that makes us think that they're ever going to stop there's no evidence you know in his in his mind there is no evidence for that whatever the earth looks like it's been going on into the limitless past and looks like it will continue doing the same thing into the limitless future. That's his principle mm-hmm. of uniformitarianism. And that is, that is a major intellectual outlook that forms geology from there on out. Um, it's, huh. it's, he states it a little too strongly and it's in, in contrast to catastrophism. And I believe we talked about this a few years ago on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Sutton is the great, great champion of uniformitarianism. Now his writing style is a little, um, flaccid um he's he's, he goes on for a little too long in fact some of his contemporaries and you know younger contemporaries you know said boy you know he had all these ideas but he doesn't get any credit for them because no one can make themselves read all his stuff so it it depended on it depended on other people to sort of condense them and popularize them to some extent so it was really probably 20 or 30 years into the 19th century before his ideas that he'd been writing in the 1780s and 1790s really started you know, really taking hold and really getting, you know, know, people's attention and sort and again, forming geology as we know it. Um, So Hutton, you know, would look at this landscape, this, you know, out here in the desert, 6,500 feet, and these these series of tilted strata, and just, you know, to to see that whole, something had to close the cycle 
And that, that was that was the mystery and would continue to be the mystery. I mean, it's still, we've pushed the mystery back a step or two and we've made some progress. I mean, plate tectonics is the answer. And that's, it's, so it's incredible how long people had to sort of suffer through and try to <laughs> try look at this and wonder what this restoring force was. And again, plate tectonics is, you know, it just pushes the mysteries back a step, but boy, it pushes them back a big step. Things that didn't make any sense in Hutton's day, you know, there is at least an explanation that goes a huge step further. Why do the plates move? Well, we're still arguing about that. But the fact that the plates move, they push up mountains and they, you know, they change relative sea level. Um, and then glaciation, that was the other thing. Um, glaciation is probably not as important as these tectonic forces, broadly speaking, but they're both, they're both important. And, you know, Ann Hutton was, as far as we can tell, right. You know, the further you push his idea, the further, you know, it's, it still continues to seem to make sense. So from this outcrop in, you know, Wyoming, you can just see these, you could, we could count up. And, and, that's, and that's a question Hutton asks, is why no one had done this before his time. Like not even Steno, you know, not even people who had that, those principles in their mind. You know, and, and certainly not, you know, Aristotle, who, you know, knew that there were fossils on mountaintops, as one of the professors out there, you know, reminded me. Um, but he didn't, he didn't, you know, try to put pieces together like this, the way that, you know, yeah. so Hutton, so Hutton takes his, you know, in his, in his very first section of his very first chapter of his book, The Theory of the Earth, you know, he complains about this, why no one before this time, you know, so you, you could look at this outcrop and say, okay, there's that over there. If, if we take, if we take these tilted rocks and we untilt them in our minds, the simplest way possible, which is not always correct, but usually works. Um, and say, okay, that rock over there, that, those rocks we call the chug water, it's really red rocks, those form first, and then there's this nugget sandstone, and then there's this gypsum spring mudstone, basically, and then there's the Sundance. So that's four separate events, and you could break the chug water up, and it's actually a group, and you could break that up further. So just from here, I can see somewhere between four and seven events, depending on whether you're a lumper or a splitter. Um, <laughs> and then something had to tilt them and then right. you know tilt them and bend them which almost always goes on at the same time into this dome shape because like you know you don't have to go very far you can look across the road and say these rocks are tilting off to the north or east or whatever it is um and those you know at, at like 45 degrees and those across the road are dipping off to like the northwest at you know 20 degrees or 10 um they're much shallower so obviously they bent um, and if you, if you if you actually take a compass like we did <laughs> for field exercises, you can prove to yourself that in fact there's a whole range of orientations, and in fact it does it is a dome shape. It's not uh, it's not some individual bend or fracture. It's it's a, it's this entire dome shape. So all that had to happen. Now what happens? And you know, so one last thing: what has to happen for you to be able to bend a rock? Mm. What happens if you know? In my, if I go to my bench top in the laboratory, if I go to my workshop and I try to bend a rock, I don't have a very easy time. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Yeah. But these rocks have clearly bent. Um, and so, you know, you can think about what happens when things that normally break, how can I make them bendable? So, and especially in the 18th century, what would you think? You know, heat, maybe, probably, probably something like that. So Hutton was at least right. aware and, and, and put more emphasis than anyone before his time really had on the role of heat 
So he's, he's not only the founder of uniformitarianism, he's one of the founders of quote unquote Plutonism. So um, people of course knew about volcanoes, but what Hutton uh, brings to the table is that, you know, like not only is there these, this melted rock or this, you know, powdered red hot rock that exudes from uh, volcanoes, but there's stuff that doesn't make it to the surface and cools underneath the surface. And that is probably the better explanation for a lot of these other things. Um, so he's, I mean, he's not the father of geology, unless you want to call Steno the grandfather of geology. I guess you could work it that way. Interesting. <laughs> but, but Hutton does deserve a lot of credit. Interesting. Um, so heat, there's heat inside the earth. So if you bury these rocks enough, you know, you insulate them enough, you can bend them because they'll be hot enough. So that implies there's another step to our process. We've got four steps to form the rocks, a fifth to bend them, and then a sixth for all that overlying rock to erode away and expose the rocks that we see. Wow. And that's Hutton's complaint. It's like, you know, it's, I, to, that's how I at least summarize Hutton's complaint. Could Aristotle have done this? We just stood on a, a ridgetop here with some very common sense principles. They were originally in the ocean. They were originally flat. And the old ones were on the bottom and they had to tilt at some point, you know? So that's, that's one of those mysteries, right. you know, that's something, yeah. huh. but it sounds like uh, it really is a bit of a, uh, uh, imagination work and detective work. Uh, it's, um, it's a, a, a kind of adventurous view of science. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's it's not just looking at rocks like some people might think that uh, you know what can be exciting about a rock or a rock formation. And that's apparently that's the thing is that's apparently how people looked at things. Yeah, <laughs> it's, very, it's very frustrating for those of us in these latter days who like what are we freaks? Did we you know was there some mutation <laughs> that happened in the 17th or 18th century that we you know finally started getting interested in this and you know we're just completely different human beings? That can't possibly be the case. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, and, and because I'm uh, not only admiring the uh, the geographic ge uh, geological aspects of your trip, but just the fact that you visited uh, this really uh, intriguing um, uh, Catholic college out there, I can't help but think that uh, when we talk about imagination. Uh, what I think of as an ideal virtue of Catholic higher education is um, imagination and creative mm -hmm. thinking and seeing things that uh, maybe others don't see or asking questions that others don't ask, uh, either in, a, in general terms or in specific terms. Did you kind of pick up on the link between the the imagination of a of a geologist there and the imagination of a catholic college there i think to some extent i mean people were really people were really engaged and, and in fact after the uh um they they have to do they had to schedule it at some point so and of course it had to be during the daytime for me to do this field exercise uh, so sure. there i was i was disappointed in how few students were able to come along on the other hand, the, the level of interest on the part of the students who did come along per capita was quite high. So oh, I, had, I had a great conversation great. with two of them afterward for, oh, I, we had to talk for at least an hour and a half, um, you know, starting from that example and just sort of, you know, moving onward and looking at, looking at a map of the world and, you know, and, and 
moving forward to this question of you know plate tectonics and how the the surface of the earth you know reshapes itself over time um yeah and and the the you know and like i said the you know another one of the professors pointed out to me you know that aristotle had gone at least this far um and it was the start of another interesting conversation um Beautiful. yeah hmm. yeah so and, yeah that's the other thing uh, it's, it's part of imagination where uh, one conversation leads to another and the connections emerge and uh they're just as exciting as the origination point of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So it's a place, well, it's certainly oh, a place oh, I hope okay. to visit and again. Would, oh, it sounds great. Yeah, I would love to visit it too. Although I don't know, uh, there was probably a lot of the walking and hill climbing involved in such uh, uh, a geographical, uh, geological expo uh, exploration of, of um, Wyoming. Yeah, I honestly I had to, I, I had to, you know, it was, I don't know how far we had to climb 50 feet or something to get up on top of this ridge. Maybe it was a little bit more than that. But I was, you know, of course, coming from St. Louis, where, you know, I'm at an elevation of 350 or 400 feet to yeah. a place at 6,500 feet. It's like, oh, yeah, let me, let me catch my breath here for a minute. Y'all are probably doing fine, but I, I do need just a second here. <laughs> Uh, so just take in this vista while I'm catching my breath. Well, fair enough. And I bet that's a good time, good use of time as well. Yeah. 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 So. Well, uh, I'm glad that uh, you enjoyed that trip. Yeah. No, it was it was great. So. Uh, yeah. So this was uh, since this is Sunday and we're going to release this tomorrow. There's no way to get uh, Morgan on the job on this. So uh, we're going to just release this as Paul and Bill unplugged. And uh, yeah. Well, but uh, That's yeah, fine. We'll, we'll try to get back next month to uh, something more like our regular schedule. But uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We we have we're thinking about uh, some interesting guests, and we always enjoy our own conversations. That's always fun. Yeah. With yeah. Catholic imagination, hopefully, right there intact. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, we'll probably call it there for this week. Thank you, gentle listeners, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you again soon.